Thanks for joining us for our morning teaching time. First John, walking in the light. We're, uh, boy, 18 weeks now in First John. The topic this morning is the Holy Spirit, the life inside. And I want to start with just one verse, First John 4.13. First John 4.13, get a Bible, study along with. John says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. This is how we know that we're in him and he's in us. How do you know? Well, he's given us his spirit. Capital S, the Holy Spirit. When you start looking at the Christian life, especially when you're discussing it, with other people, and when you're reading your Bible, it's important that the terms we use when we talk about our Christian life, it's important that the terms we're using mean the same thing in our minds as they meant in the New Testament writers. David Augsburger, he cites an example of this in his wonderful little book called Dissident Discipleship. Let me just read you a quote. He says, the word spirituality, when used without a modifier, is a glow word that can be attached to persons, places, and things with a positive effect. It has become comfortingly vague and usefully vacant, allowing people to insert and then extract meanings virtually at will. The quest for the true essential meaning of spirituality is a fool's errand, Lucy Bergman has concluded after studying the uses of the concept over the last two decades. As definitions of spirituality proliferated, these have enabled this one term to do double, indeed triple duty, It is in the self-interest of many persons who like the term to keep it as loosely defined as possible. Its meanings keep slipping, and it can be relied on to fill gaps vacated by older terms. In much contemporary usage, spirituality is a path of self-discovery. It is the secret of releasing and unfolding a deeper, wider, richer, gentler, growing self. I don't know if you've taken note, but that's really true. This kind of vague spiritual God talk has just become very common. And the media now uses the same lingo as the church pew. Oprah is all about spirituality, books on reaching your spiritual potential. They're written from people of every religious background or no religion whatsoever, and they all share the same basic vocabulary, spiritual thinking, getting in tune with the spiritual you inside. All of that can cause great confusion for Christians in their pursuit of biblical truth. See, what makes someone a Christian? Is it, is it signing a decision card? Is it baptism? 
What about putting up a hand? Who's saved? Who isn't? How can anybody really know? And I think you start to see in our text, in this verse, John is really very close to ground zero in defining Christian experience. I have several thoughts. Let's look at them together. Point number one, John gives us his definition of a Christian. Look what he says. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. And here's, that's the reason because he, Father God, has given us of his spirit, capital S. By this we know. And the this at the beginning of the sentence refers to the spirit at the end of the sentence. By this we know because he's given us his spirit. Now, please notice, John says nothing here about my spirit or your spirit or some inner sense of spirit. He's not talking about our inner selves or human potential or some heightened inward realization. I mean, the thrust of the verse, it's in an entirely different direction. John, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he puts conversion in this class by itself. And he says, it comes from God. It comes from God's Spirit. There's, there's no uh, man-made way to get saved, to get in touch with God. It, it's not some inward journey of self-discovery or self-fulfillment. So we have to begin and make a right start in our thinking. In all of this, it's very important to refocus on John's single point in this great verse. It's highly specific. It's the number one starting point, the only starting point for the life of God in the human heart. Human agents can't save anyone. I can't bring myself into relationship with God. Now, we need to be careful here. It's true, there are many means to help me grow as a Christian. That's true enough. Bible study, consistent church attendance, personal devotions, acts of witness and service. All of those things help me grow as a Christian. None of these things, nor all of them together, are organically what make me a Christian. No, John says a mouthful when he says, only God's spirit births eternal life. He gives it, I receive it from him on his terms, or I, or I don't come at all. I think sometimes even, even in the church, there can be kind of a blurred vision on this point. It, it, and it, it might be one of the big misconceptions it affects everything because if I don't move ahead from this proper starting point in my Christian life, nothing else is going to work as it's supposed to work. Just take one example. Pick any, but let's take this one. Take the simple exercise of coming to church. I know that seems that's a long time since we've been able to do that. But you remember... Think of just the simple exercise of coming to church. And, and you learn, over the years, people come to church for a lot of reasons, not just one reason. 
Some come because when they were young, their parents took them to church. The days seemed happier and simpler. Maybe they grew up, they got out of the habit, they missed the hymns, life is stressing them out, they long for the good old days, they come. Some people come to church because they're, they've come to the end of their rope, their marriage is coming unglued, they've, they've gone bankrupt, their kids are messing up their lives, they're in trouble with the law, so they come back to the church because they hope they'll find some solution to the problems they're facing, something to help them cope. Some people come because they're looking for something that will maybe keep their children or their youth kind of morally on track. Goodness knows it's a messed up, perverted culture that we live in. They like the idea of youth groups and a strong program. Truth is, they're interested in the church more for their kids than for themselves. problem with that is the kids aren't stupid. They're going to see through that as soon as they get a little older. It won't work. Some people like the social aspect of the church. Their friends are there. They know people. They've built relationships. Now, please understand me. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're all good. The church ought to provide those kinds of ministries and opportunities. But there is something very tragic that can happen right in the middle of this whole busy process. The person who is there looking for the solution to his or her broken marriage, the parents hoping to keep their young person on track, the person who feels all his friends at church, they're going to sit and they're going to hear all sorts of aspects of Christian living. They'll be taught in Sunday school classes, in sermons, in Bible studies, in youth groups. They're going to be taught about Christian living. They'll hear sermons on the importance of the Word of God, and they'll think, yes, Yes, it is very important. I should read my Bible. They'll hear some teaching on prayer and think, yes, I don't, I don't pray enough. Look at these people pray. I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to learn to pray. Or they'll hear sermons on holiness and think, yes, my life is far from perfect. I really need to clean up this part of my life and that part of my life. But that person is going to find that none of those things work very well for very long. He tries to study, but it's all on his own strength. He tries to pray, but he feels like he's talking to himself. What's gone wrong? Why isn't this working better for this person? And I'll tell you at least one possibility. There are all sorts of people who try to apply the mechanics of a Christian life to an unconverted heart. And the tragedy is one day they'll leave the church thinking that the Christian life doesn't work. They, they thought it was like putting on a what would Jesus do bracelet and just kind of copying and mimicking. And, and it can't be done for very long, not for very well. There's such a need to come back what John is saying in this verse. God gives his spirit. John isn't alone in saying this. I was reading these words from Peter. Look at 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. He says, his divine power, see this is how it starts, has granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. Do you see what Peter is saying there? I, I only, on my own, I only have the freedom to, to follow my own desires. Sinful desires, he says, at the end of that fourth verse. That's all I can, all I can do. So becoming a Christian is having something sown in your heart that tilts in the direction of different desires, godly desires. This is what, this is what the Holy Spirit does. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. It's granted to us, verse 3. It's a, it's a gift word, granted. It means that these things are given from the outside. I can't generate them by just self-will and self-effort. Or, same idea, look at the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, first, this is first, first, uh, it's actually John, I have first John, it's actually John's gospel. Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. There's two realities here, Jesus is saying. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Question. Why did Jesus choose this image of birth to illustrate conversion? I mean, there could be a lot of reasons. Let me tell you what I think. I think it's probably because birth isn't something you can add on to life. I mean, birth is, it's the start of life itself. All sorts of things can happen later on. I can get an education, not get an education. I can get a job. I can not get a job. I can delve into sports or not delve in. I can do all sorts of things. But, but here's what I can't do. I, I can't make myself born. I had no decision in that. It's the one part of your physical life you have nothing to do with. Whatever else you may have made of your life, you certainly didn't accomplish your own birth. And I think that's Jesus' main point. He, he says there's this new life. It's required. It isn't mechanical. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so every person truly needs new life from above. This isn't, this isn't us trying to tap into some inner spiritual potential. This is receiving the Holy Spirit of the Trinity, the triune God, giving a new nature and new desires. Point number two. John says, you know when the Spirit has come into your life. I see that in, in that opening, 1 John 4, 13. By this we know. There's the no words. 
that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. It's a noble experience. It has to grow. It has to be nurtured. I have to cooperate. But there's a, there's a, a definite spiritual starting point, and John says, we, we know. I actually think very few writers in the New Testament delve into this more deeply than the Apostle Paul. He talks about this in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and then 4 to 10. So Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2, and then we'll read verses 4 to 10. And remember, Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. But you were, here's what we all were, dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, people who are far from God, who reject Christ, they think they freely just make those decisions on their own, that they're being independent, that they're charting their own course. And Paul says, no, 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 there's, there's another spirit they're following, blindly following. They just don't know it. And then he says, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when, even when, when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up. You see how the acting here is God raised us up with him, seated us. We didn't do it ourselves. Seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do all this? And here's beautiful words. So that in the coming ages, so we're not there yet, but God has a plan. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's got an eternal plan of kindness toward us. Eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a lot in those verses, but the main thought is quite simple. The, the change that takes place at the conversion of a life through Christ Jesus, it's a dramatic change. It's a massive change. The individual was dead, Paul says. Now he's alive. He was controlled by the spirit of the age. Now he is in Christ Jesus. He was heading for nothing but the wrath of God. Now he's growing in good works ordained by the Lord himself. John's, John's thought in our text is the same. John says, we know we abide in him and he in us because, because of the spirit, the work that the spirit has done in our hearts. It's, it's more than just religious observance. It's more than just trying to do what Jesus would do. It's, it's not like the decorations you put on your Christmas tree. It's life from the inside. It's organic life. It's a life that has movement, a force of its own, a power of its own. It can be rejected. It can be resisted. I know grace is not irresistible. 
But this is a work that, that God starts in the heart to draw us into works, to follow him with, with transformed desires that get more transformed as I yield and obey the Holy Spirit who works inside. Doesn't start on the outside. It isn't man-made. You can't leave the Holy Spirit out. Here's how I'd wrap up. Next, uh, next year, 2022, Rini and I will have been in this church for 40 years. And one of the advantages of a long pastorate in the same church is, is the quiet joy that comes out from looking out over a large crowd of faces and pausing and thinking about people you never thought had a chance at newness of life. See, I came to this church when many young married couples were babies who couldn't walk yet. I have the joy sometimes of having parents come bringing a child, and as I'm holding the baby, dedicating the baby, I stop and think, oh yeah, and I also dedicated the mom and the dad in the same way in the same church. And so new faces have come into the church, and they come from all sorts of backgrounds. There are people who come week by week who had everything against them spiritually. There are people who grew up with no Christian influence, nothing but heartache and opposition. There are women who sit here week by week. They were deserted by their husbands. There are children who didn't have Christian parents. And there they are. They sit in church, bright, brand new creations of the grace of God. See, that's the reality John describes in this verse. He says you can know it. You can see the Holy Spirit at work. Oh, I know many of the changes happen over time. I know that sometimes transformation is slower than we'd like. I know there are setbacks. But, but the conversion principle still stands. It's drastic. The change it starts, here's what to look for. We know, we know we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. Here's what should happen. I groan over since that I once, sins that I once delighted in. Even if I fall into them again, I can't do it with joy anymore. There's a, a different inward me who wrestles with the sins that I once cherished. There's an inward something that's pulling me in a new direction. Never settle for anything less than that. Next Sunday, we're going to look at this in more detail. How can I know for sure when the Holy Spirit is at work in my life? Let's pray. We're grateful for weeks when we can study a, a great letter like 1 John and we can do it verse by verse by verse and see the way the Holy Spirit builds truth line by line, feed it into our hearts and help it to bear fruit that we might grow in you. Bless this Lord's Day. Everyone watching, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll keep us in your care. Give us a joyful rest in the grace of God. Keep our spirits sweet in the middle of all this and keep our hearts close to you, I pray. Let your Holy Spirit, the life inside, let it grow and thrive. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Love one another.